Welcome to Revenue Harvest, a podcast about the fundamentals of sales leadership. Did you know most sales teams don't hit their sales targets and you can't afford to miss yours? This podcast will give you the answer to questions that will help you lead your team better, consistently exceed your sales targets, and make the most of your career. I'm your host, Nigel Green, and the whole idea behind these conversations is to learn from people who can make you a better sales leader. Let's get started. All right. In this episode, we get to sit down with Miles Adcox. I'm just going to tell you right now, this is a pretty heavy episode. It might be the most important episode uh, of the season. A lot of what we're going to talk about are principles that come right out of uh, the rest and the restore principle uh, in my, my work, Revenue Harvest. So if you haven't yet read the book, um, you might want to check out the, the last principle, Restore. I think it'll give you some good context for where we're going in this conversation. I think it's probably one of the most neglected principles uh, that sales leaders uh, and executives want to skip because we don't think it applies to us. Let me tell you a little bit about Miles. He's a speaker, he's a podcast host, he's a business leader, and he's a coach. He owns on-site an internationally known emotional wellness lifestyle uh, workshop and event company that delivers life-changing personal growth, inspiring content, leadership retreats, and emotional treatment. His work's been featured on 2020, Good Morning America, New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Dr. Phil. Uh, he's, Miles has devoted his life to living into these three concepts, empathy over action, love over agenda, and grace over advice. Now, you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, Nigel, what in the world does this have to do with leading sales teams? Well, let me tell you, in this episode, Miles is going to teach you how to hold yourself accountable as a leader something we can all do better. He's going to tell us about the cost of balancing abnormal stress and leaving it unchecked. We're going to talk about shifting the paradigm by integrating whole leadership. What is whole leadership? Oh, I have to check it out. We talk about the unspoken dilemma of leadership, which is the biggest obstacle and our biggest opportunity. We talk about mental health and mental health accountability of the leader. Another one of your big obstacles is knowing where mental health challenges exist on your team, how to spot them, and how to take action. Why? Well, I'll tell you, you're only as good as your people. And uh, if you're listening to this anywhere near around 2020, mental health is a big thing. I'll tell you what, this is heavy. You can't afford not to listen to this conversation with Miles. It's raw. It's real. You'll be a better leader. Your team will thank you. And you can thank me later. Miles Atcox, people. All right. I'm really excited today to have Miles Adcox with us on Revenue Harvest. Miles, welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, my friend. So I met Miles in 2012, and um, w when you get a chance to see Miles for the first time, he has this way of really owning and commanding a room, but he's, it's not in the way that you might think he's not boisterous. He just has this presence about him like, um, it's going to be okay, and if you're not okay, I'll help you get okay. And, uh, and that's been 
that's been something that I think has been a big piece of your brand is helping people get okay. And the reason why I wanted to have Miles on the show today is, uh, you know, the last principle in the book, Revenue Harvest, talks about restoring and really makes distinctions between rest, which is taking a break and, and easing, and then fixing, which is really what it means to restore. And, um, you know, throughout my career working with different sales teams, a lot of them are broken at the people level. And it's not been talked about, it's not been addressed, uh, and really uh, intentionally neglected because it doesn't uh, seem to align with uh, the growth goals or this culture of more, more, more. But I think what what you're going to hear from me and Miles today is uh, maybe a a cautionary conversation, at least from Miles' perspective, but definitely for me, it's going to be more of a directive that you won't last long as a leader if you can't um, take care of your people. That's one of the, one of the responsibilities of leading a sales and marketing team is that you're accountable for the whole people on your team. And and maybe that's where we start miles. So like um, what does it mean to be fully accountable for the people that uh, you're responsible for? Well, uh, first of all, I, I, affirm and applaud your uh, courage and emphasis as a um, well-known, obviously, consultant in the sales space to step out there and talk about or put such an importance on the concept of restoring and taking care of the human uh, first and in, in, in order so that they can produce. I know it's, it's trending a little bit, I'll say, which is great. I think more people are talking about it in corporate culture than ever before, but it's still, uh, there's a hill to climb here. So I, I appreciate uh, you spending a little time on it and inviting me into the space. And I, and I, and I, I like, you know, I know we're going to spend some time on the last principle of the seven, but I really think they all apply in, in a sense to restoring, reflecting, reconnecting, recalibrating who we are so that we can better become uh, who we're supposed to be professionally and personally. So I love the metaphor that you used here in the book, farming and selling. I'm, I grew up on a farm. And so you're speaking my love language. And I've kind of in this season, I am reverting back to and starting doing more things on my own farm as a way to get regrounded and take care of myself because I'm part, you know, my company has really grown a lot. And we've, of course, experienced challenges here in this season with the economic downturn. So versus throw myself full force, which is what I did in the first few weeks of this current challenge we're in. I'm not sure when we'll release this interview, but um, we're we're certainly talking uh, right now on the heels of the uh, economic crisis and the pandemic. But I, I initially just got into full-on reactivity and jumped on the treadmill that we often do when we're responding to crisis and was working harder than I'd ever worked before. But I wasn't really producing anything. And it was becoming a detriment to, to me, to my family, and certainly to the people that I lead. Well, I started putting in place and practice what I know to do and what I've been supporting other people and leaders to do. And I just took a step back and reset my reality so that I could reflect uh, what was going on and how I was responding to it. And it gave me an opportunity to reconnect. And one of those ways I've been reconnecting is, is, is jumping back into my roots. And I've been, I planted a, two really great gardens this year. Um, I've picked up some 
new horses and things that I love doing. I've been introducing all of that to my family. So I've really, I've got bees. I've got uh, all these things that uh, require you to slow down, plan, position, prepare, plant, tend, harvest, and restore. And as I was thinking about the principles you put in place that are really great tactics to plan out uh, how you would support sales teams, same applies for that last principle of restoring um, who we are uh, emotionally and, and spiritually, for that matter. You, you've got to do some planning and, and you've got to go through. Basically, if you could reverse engineer this, you could probably write a second book with these principles just on how to restore. So it all kind of um, applies. And for me, it's I, I'm like you. I think it is the most important thing that we could possibly do. But it is the one thing in leadership that has this kind of unspoken dilemma of a leader um, and therefore creates, because it's unspoken and unsaid in most environments, it creates an obstacle, but it's only two degrees away from our biggest opportunity. That's the good news. So I'm kind of excited that I think a lot of people are digging deep and looking at who they are in this time. And we have an opportunity, I believe as leaders to come out of this period better than we came into it. Mm. So that, oh, that's perfect. So you, you said, well, I'd asked the question, you know, what does it mean and, and, and how do you go about being fully accountable for the people? And then you, this beautiful narrative about taking care of yourself and then recognizing uh, how you need to change to adapt to, to the situation. And, so you, it's almost like you you started by saying before I can even take care of others, I have to take care of myself, and then that requires some bit of reflection and an audit. And if I'm if I'm leading a team and I'm listening to this and saying, "Oh, this sounds really fluffy," like just be real. What, what's at stake if I don't do that work? Well, it, it does. You know, anything in the emotional wellness, mental wellness, emotional intelligence lane does get um, put in the soft skill category, unfortunately. But I would uh, I would challenge leaders who probably have shied away from vulnerable conversations or true audit and assessment about themselves in their own lives. Uh, to to give it a go and tell me after you finish if it's if you think it's a soft skill or not because there's nothing soft about it it's actually uh, hard because it's countercultural and so you heard me mention leadership dilemma so I'll try to answer your question I know I did in the first round but I'll try to answer your question just about accountability and your um, what you picked up from uh, me kind of laying the groundwork or providing a narrative is spot on I don't think you can you can hold a team accountable until you can hold yourself accountable. And I think in this sense, holding it's, it's probably more important to hold yourself close instead of holding yourself accountable because close produces empathy and empathy opens the door uh, to be able to truly be honest and assess who we are and who we're becoming. That means turning over the rocks and looking at the blind spots. And I'm not just talking about a 360 where you're talking about your shortcomings you know, as a leader. I'm talking about what's going on in your personal life because it certainly translates and uh, feeds into what is happening in our professional lives. So where leadership dilemma came from, and I'll just give you this framework real quick, and I think it will answer the question of what happens if we don't, is my company works with a lot of people in the entertainment space. 
I sit with a group of music artists once a month and lead them in a group. And these are um, people who are just starting out. And then I had their first single at radio, just signed to a new label to people who sell out arenas and everybody in between. So it's a, it's a really good diverse mix of people who've been at the top of the food chain, some that have been there and are kind of on the way back down and some that are just grinding to try to break through. When I was sitting with this group of artists and obviously we're working on emotional health and intelligence, I was looking for what, how do I make a case and show them why this is important without um, the tried and failed method of fear-based prevention. Because if I just came through the door, and I'll say this, I'm going to pivot to leaders, but if I just came through the door saying, if you don't do this, here's what's going to happen, that doesn't fully motivate people in my mind when it comes to taking care of themselves. It does work. I think the carrot and the stick and traditional forms of motivation uh, work pretty well in a, in a business sense, but it doesn't create sustainable change when it comes to restoring yourself. And this is just my experience from walking to thousands of people. It has to be more of a me idea versus someone else's idea if I'm going to take root in it. So with artists, for example, I wrote a little creed and said, I'm not going to show you the side of your brain that is susceptible based on how you're wired to depression, mental health issues, addiction, um, if you don't take care of yourself and manage your stress, because that will go right over your head, kind of like a Surgeon General's warning, and it won't make it, you won't matter. And I think the same thing happens with leaders. And so I wrote with artists. I said, you know, here's basically what's the thing you value the most. And an artist in this group, for example, they identified it was creativity. Creativity is what got them into their profession. It's what wakes them up in the middle of the night and wakes them up in the morning, and it's what makes them who they are in a sense. So. What I call the artist dilemma is public professions create abnormal life circumstances. Public professions create abnormal life circumstances. You can make up what those might be. Uh, you, celebrity culture, fame, there's not much that's normal about it. Well, here's what we know about abnormal life circumstances. They create high levels of stress. Here's what we know in my profession about unaddressed stress, that it creates loneliness, disconnection, broken relationships, anxiety, addictions, etc all of which kill creativity. So what's ironic is creativity is what brought the artist to the dance and they've signed up for a career that unchecked is designed to kill it. And so now let me pivot to leaders just quickly. I also think there's a leadership dilemma to answer your question. What can happen if I think leadership creates abnormal life circumstances? It's, it's, it's not everybody in the, in the traditional sense, I think everybody's a leader in some way. But when it comes to managing big teams and all the responsibility and the weight that comes with that, it creates some abnormal life circumstances that normal everyday people, you have to be called to this profession. And you can learn it, I know. But what's abnormal about being a leader? Well, we could go through and identify that. But just for time's sake, what we know is that leadership can create abnormal life circumstances. You already heard what I said about un abnormal life circumstances. We know create high levels of stress. It could be schedule. It could be travel. It could be always on the phone. It could be um, always feeling like you need to produce. It could be the weight of managing all your people. All of that can create high levels of stress. Well, very clear in our profession, unaddressed stress creates anxiety, disconnection, loneliness, addictions, etc., all of which kill connection, true leadership. So whatever it is that makes a leader a leader, 
uh, you've signed up for a career when you're at the top of your game to kill it. That's why it's a dilemma. But here's the beauty, which is what I said in the beginning. We can quickly turn this from dilemma into opportunity if we know about it. And that's the most important thing. And I think that's why this conversation is so vital is it's our job as leaders to start making this a priority and telling people on the front end, here's what you're susceptible of. And we just want you to keep your magic and your flow. And if you take care of yourself, you can do it. And here's the ecosystem and environment we're going to create to help you do so. Oh, that's brilliant. So I, I think back uh, to myself and, and some people that are listening to this are absolutely going to resonate with, they, they love the abnormal circumstances. It meets your need for significance and contribution because, uh, you know, the busier you are and the fact that you spend, you know, you might spend a night in a different city and you're, you're running and gunning and you're meeting with all these people, that, that all that variety and, and for what, you know, it's not the same level of celebrity that you're dealing with, but within their space, there is this, um, whether you want to talk about it or not, you, you you benefit from some degree of celebrity within your company, within uh, the industry that you work in. There's a certain gravitas that you bring when you show up, and, and that feeds them. How how do I know that? Uh, how do I know if I'm managing it well? Like what what are the signs that my abnormal circumstances? Uh, might be creating abnormal behavior, even though it may feel normal to me, it's really not normal. I I really think that we should be one of the the strongest tools that we can teach leaders and human beings. I think it's our superpower is just self-awareness. And I think self-awareness is something we underestimate because we assume if we're good with people um, and if we have influence is what you would describe when you walk into a room, if you've got um, influence. Uh, and it doesn't matter what your personality type is. Influence shows up in different ways. But if you, if you have that, we assume that you're self-aware. Well, reading people well doesn't, is not a predictor for being able to read yourself and assess what's going on with you. Mm. So I believe that self-awareness is something that should be maintained, worked on, and grown. And I believe having it is the single most important factor for leaders to be able to know where they are, how they're showing up, what part of their history and their imprint. Um, maybe, uh, and, and I'm trying not to use overly use psychology terms, even though I work in that space, but we could just call it stress or adversity. We know from working with people that adversity experienced in your life at a younger age at, and, and plug in what that might be. I don't think anybody escapes it. Uh, some have, have some people have it worse than others, but it absolutely will sh- uh, shape how you respond to stress and adversity in your professional and personal life later in life and in your current. And so if you don't know that, if you've never really done a timeline, and I'm not suggesting every leader has to go to, to counseling or therapy. I, I love it. And uh, I always I think it's widely branded the wrong way, that it's it's the place we go when we think something's wrong with us, because actually it's what's right with you, that you go pursue the best version of yourself. But at some point, uh, and there are some practical coaching ways to do this too, I take leaders through this all the time, where you need to look at a timeline to be able to see how might my history be informing my current and my future? And what do I need to unhitch from, rewrite narratives going back so that I'm free going forward? So I'm basically getting a little bit in the in the deep end on self-awareness, but just to circle back, I think when leaders are self-aware and when they're emotionally fit, 
defined as power, understanding, strength, and empathy around your mood and your feelings towards yourself and other people, um, that's when we're really integrated and whole leaders. And, I, and I'm proud that, that there is this huge influx of people teaching emotional intelligence, but knowing it and actually feeling it and integrating it, I believe, are two different things. The knowledge is important, uh, but the, 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 the part of the brain that, that can hold stuck behavior and pathology requires us to feel as, as leaders. And that's one thing often we don't value as much because we just want to power through. So what I'm hearing is, especially I'm a sales leader and I'm leading this team and big, big numbers to go after. And there's a lot of, lot at stake if, if we don't, and that's going to, it's going to cause me under that stress and pressure to um, act in ways that um, I may not even be aware of, but we're certainly shaped by past experiences and it also forces me to recognize that as I'm applying pressure to my team for a result, that it's inevitable, completely unavoidable, that a proxy of that stress is that in times of certain periods of time throughout the year, certain people on my team are going to respond and react and receive that pressure in different ways. And it's going to make them act in ways that they may not even be aware of. Is, is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And, you know, uh, something that the um, behavioral health landscape industry has started talking about significantly more than we did a decade ago, particularly 15, 20 years ago, is psychological or emotional trauma. Basically, uh, we, we treat conditions, and I don't want to go too far in our lane, but I think it's relevant to what you're talking about. We often historically would treat conditions through a symptom-based model. So if someone had an addiction or someone had depression, anxiety, we would just help them manage the symptoms instead of get down to the root of what might be causing this. And it could be you've had some type of psychological injury that could be manifested into this current reality that has you numbing or medicating it to begin with. Well, what you're describing as stress is just basic or what we would call trauma is just compound stress. So yes, it's inevitable that everybody's, some people are going to experience stress differently. And when you don't, when you internalize it and don't have a proper outlet for it uh, inside and outside of the workplace, then it will compound. And for some people, it's going to come out sideways. So this is how it comes out sideways. Um, and, and I want you to, to help us develop some skills around this. Okay. So abnormal circumstances, uh, we were getting together for this quarterly meeting. We love these people. We haven't seen them. We haven't seen them in a long time. Some of us, you know, we all come from different walks of life, different stages. Some people have families, some are single, some are older, younger, just out of school, but inevitably we, we get together. We travel from all parts of the world for this meeting and leading, you know, there's a thin line between, uh, the night and the morning in a lot of these meetings and, and what happens in those evening happy hours where you're out with your peers. We all know the mess that can happen, but we chalk that up as normal. And then we show up the next day, hungover, late, uh, sometimes curious about what even really happened. But I, I don't think that that's normal behavior. And I think that we as leaders are 
really we we are exacerbating the what the stress that we're putting on our people. And so we we all know it's really not normal, even though it's culturally acceptable. How do I, as a leader, begin to start addressing that with my team and say, guys, we're we're just I I'm accountable for you, which is how we started this conversation. I, I'm I'm here to steward over you in your career and your life and to make help you get the most out of this opportunity. We just can't be like that. How, how do, what do you say to a leader that's like, man, Nigel, Miles, I don't know how I can, how do I make that shift? Well, I think one important, well, I'll just give you a, a short little acronym or model that I use, which is kind of four P's when it comes to how to begin to shift the paradigm if you've never uh, had these conversations with your team. And that would be uh, first pay attention, you second prioritize, then you prime the pump, and then you produce. And so I'll walk you back through it. But first and foremost, you just you, you have, as a leader, you have to pay attention and question the norm. Uh, it's so easy uh, because as leaders, you know how busy we are. Um, we don't have time to dig into uh, personnel or people issues because often it's the pressure to treat people like products in order to meet uh, our goals, um, it, it just, it's time consuming. I'll be honest. And uh, I struggle with it because I've gotten way more responsibility on my plate. And when I was running an organization of 10, I knew everything about everybody. And now it's, you know, 200 and it's just a different ball game. So, well, and, and, and to your point, I want to go here for a second and I'm sorry to, to, to interject, but you said we, we, pe- we treat people like product. Well, in the sales teams, what we tend to do is because we see each of these members as a performing unit and we almost put worth on them by how much they produce, we tend to just ignore all the, the you, to your point, to the pay attention. We'll ignore uh, abnormal behavior so long as they continue to hit our number. And, I, and I'm saying the stakes of that are just, I mean, it's just dangerous, dangerous place to be. Yeah, there's there's a lot of sports metaphors that uh, you when I say metaphors is not the right word there, but there's a lot of examples of uh, athletes that were just unbelievable um, individual producers, but were terrible for team dynamics. And often it was because their personal life was awry, or they had a childhood that they'd never reconciled or resolved. And you saw the results. Is they ultimately. Um, it began to break down the system over time. And if they were lucky on talent alone, you might get one championship, but it could have been another Chicago Bulls era uh, had there been a Phil Jackson on board or somebody who recognized and asked questions and paid attention and said, we've got to prioritize uh, individually so that we can have a healthy uh, team dynamic. And, you know, it's important too on the pay attention part is pay attention, you know, as leaders, the, the best way to open the door to notice things that a lot of people wouldn't and then have the courage to walk through and ask questions about it is when you put down the microscope and pick up the mirror and pay attention to your own process. If, you know, where are you, where's your behavior and how much of a priority are you putting on your emotional and mental wellness? Because people pay attention and they will notice and it's way more authentic for you to lean in and ask questions if they know that you're asking yourself the same questions and they're going to model that behavior. So I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to prioritize. 
and take us through the rest of these P's. Yeah. And so the next one, you know, I, I just, I call it priming the pump. And basically it is having <laughs> what would be considered abnormal um, conversations in meetings. And it, I, you can blur the line here. And I've done it because I experimented with this, with my own company and a company that I ran prior to the one I'm running now as a way to reverse engineer organizational health strategy and let the people define it collectively versus let the leader define where people how people need to behave because I thought it might be more sustainable. And so what I mean by going a little too far is there for a while I was leaning in so far and getting such good results and I happened to be trained and I enjoyed this. And so I had to be careful that I was, my, my meetings were kind of turning into therapy groups hmm. and we were, and I think I talked to you about this a few years ago, uh, we were losing focus and uh, missing some of what you would meet for to begin with, which is what's the strategy? What are the goals? How do we execute them? I, see, I guess I would say we were losing execution because we were spending so much time in it. But I think most people have the other problem is they spend no time identifying how are you feeling? How are you doing? How are you showing up today? Um, so it, that's priming to me is when you start uh, shifting the paradigm with your people, either individually as a group, and you start caring more about who they are personally and making that part of the conversation. And people are always surprised because they're like, you can't overlap that or blend that, or that stuff is not for the workplace. Well, I, I can tell you, if you don't, if you don't think that this next generation, millennials and um, Z are not prioritizing and talking about how they're feeling, in, in the workplace, inside and outside the workplace, then good luck because uh, they're telling us what they want and they're seeing the system is tired and broken and they're in some cases demanding it. But as leaders, I think we have an opportunity to lean in, prime the pump and just talk about it. And when we do jump into the last, I think that's when we start producing results is we create an ecosystem that people feel they have permission not to just show you their highlight reel, but to own their struggle. And that struggle could be what? It could be any of the things that I mentioned um, earlier. And it's not like um, um, it's not like I'm encouraging that people come in and air all their dirty laundry. It's like my life is falling apart. This is what's going on because you don't if, if you if you can't go from zero to ten, and if you don't have an environment that's built on um, vulnerable vulnerability based trust, then you have to kind of slow walk that in. But most of the time, people don't talk about how stress is impacting them. So that's a good prompting question from a leader: is how do you respond to stress? We're going to just go around and do a quick check in on how you're responding to stress. Most people never think about that. But so let me is that is that question because I think that's a good question. Is that a talking about your P's, like, is that a, is that a pay attention question? Is that a, I'm going to prioritize this question or, or do you see that as a prime in the pump question? Like, tell me where, where is that on the spectrum? I see it as a prime in the pump. Okay. Cause that's what I wanted to ask. So I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm uncomfortable. Like this is not me, but I'm saying I'm listening to this and I'm saying, okay, I'm busy. I've already got a, I'm already stressed uh, to, to get all the things that I need to be done. Now you're asking me to take time and ask, ask them how they're feeling and what they're struggling. Like, how do I begin to make sense of that? You know, 
it's I would encourage you and I, gosh I, as I'm saying this I don't even like it but I'm saying it anyway because it works so well in the change space and I work in the change space and we work with change across the board is there is an element where you when it comes to pushing through ambiguity or discomfort where you invite yourself and the people that you're leading to trust the process or to trust the process. We, that's our, that's actually our tagline with our organization. Of course, you know, we work in the emotional health and personal growth space, but we invite people often to trust the process. And there is a process that if people wanted to know the science behind why it works with change, we could do that. But most of the time knowing all that and having that data is not really going to convince somebody that it's, it should be prioritized and that it's a good idea. At some point, you kind of have to step out on faith of what we're seeing is we never paid attention to this historically, and now we're paying the price, not just in our culture, in our companies. Because we keep in mind, we live in the most, uh, we're the most disconnected cohort in American history, by far. So higher depression rates, higher anxiety rates, higher suicide rates, higher addiction rates. And just because you run a team where you may not see that, it doesn't mean that you're removed from that. Because if you look at the statistics, literally one in three people are affected. And so if you got more than three people on your team, then you're in the club of having a human element to your condition. And I know right now, I identified earlier with this space that we're in, we're seeing on the back end of the economic uh, and health crisis a growing uh, mental health crisis that's going to infiltrate and impact your companies and your teams, either people they love or them. And it wasn't exact. We weren't exactly in a mental health utopia pre-pandemic, but man, um, it's it's happening. And so at some point you said, how do I how do I make sense of this? I don't know that I could give you um, somebody might could. I don't know that I could give you a clear roadmap that would say, this is what will help you get comfortable because this is just an uncomfortable process. Whereas your, your natural skill set, you and I've talked about this before. It's been years, but of leaning into hard conversations around accountability in the workplace uh, sooner, that used to be a struggle of mine in leadership. And no matter how much you would tell me it was important, it will save you time. It will save you money. If you do it now, it's going to get the right people on the team, on and on and on. I still was uncomfortable as hell doing it. <laughs> and I, at some point, I just had to trust the process that this is a pro, that there, this is something I'm not naturally good at, but I can work and grow towards it. And I have. I've got so much better at that. And now I see the results. Mm. Well, I think, you know, I've always, and this is where we started the conversation saying, how do, how do I begin to recognize I'm fully accountable? So you said one out of three people on your team is uh, is struggling. Most of the people listening to this have sales teams, 12, 40, 50 people and beyond. So you can do the math and figure out. Uh, I, I don't think it's, well, it is no longer okay to lead a team and stick your head in the sand on this conversation. You will not be a leader very long because there is so much more awareness around mental health, behavioral health, and it's bubbling to the surface at a rate at which you won't be able to hide from it. So I think the message that I have for leaders is 
you're, you're responsible and you're going to spend arguably more time with the people on your team than you might even with your spouse or some of your closest friends and loved ones. And if you can't get behind caring for them at that deep of a level, you don't deserve to lead. And, and that may not be something you're comfortable saying, Miles, but I'll say it because um, I, I think that's where we are with this, that I want everyone to understand that it's a privilege and you're not entitled to it. And if you, if you can't take what Miles is sharing and begin to weave it into your leadership style, it's going to be a short season. Yeah, you could have basically, you could have said that at the beginning and we, that would have summed it all up. That was well said. But like you but said, I mean, you, can't, you can't walk into to the, you said it yourself, you, you can't just walk into that group of musicians and, and drop down what you want to give them, right? It just doesn't work that way. Right. Well, and, and the good news is it's like anything else. Uh, once you create a natural rhythm in doing this, it, you start to see some of the benefits that um, I described earlier when I began to put more accountability into our system is uh, you're saving time, you're saving money, but it won't feel like that on the front end because you're shifting a paradigm or a cultural norm. And it, it, it does feel like um, a challenge in the beginning. But like anything, when you run into some resistance, uh, if you meet it with more resistance, you just create the same thing. So in this case, I think leaning in is a game changer. But what I want to encourage people to is that it actually is a lot of fun. And it's not just because I'm wired this way and I like the body of knowledge around change and psychology, because I grew up in a system where we did we would know a feeling if it hit us in the face. And we were and it was a really great, you know, I got amazing parents who did a lot of good things. But we had generations of uh, kind of emotional illiteracy where we just didn't identify. Uh, or prioritize feelings. If anything, we, we tucked them in and you never showed anybody that. So you got to realize I'm breaking cultural norms uh, and I'm uncomfortable almost every day. And I'm trained in this and have been doing it for 20 years. But I will say now I'm pushed through the painful part and I really enjoy it. I can't imagine an environment that didn't have it built in. All right. So now you've got me convinced that I have to do this. Uh, it'll be better for a lot of reasons, and I might actually even enjoy the level at which I connect with people. Inevitably, as I start paying attention, start prioritizing this and priming the pump, I'm going to bump into some ugly stuff. What do I do with it? I believe that's... I would never recommend anybody lead an effort without a solid support team outside of the organization. So one of the things I have in place is there's a group of behavioral health leaders that run big companies to small companies. We come together, we're on a text chain, but we also come together once a year at our place. We run leadership programs at our place and we take a, it's a different take on leadership. Our our whole philosophy around leadership is that we become leaders. We become better leaders by becoming better human beings and we help people be better human beings. And as a byproduct, leadership really soars after that. Well, this, this group of guys have been coming together for 15 years and we come together, I think in the spring and March every year for three days. And we just unpack what's been going on for the year and offload some stuff and do what I would call an intensive, which is basically instead of meeting for an hour we just pound it out and do like a year's worth of meetings in three days. 
And uh, that's where I bring uh, a lot of the struggle in the, what I basically, when I run into all this stuff and don't know what to do, um, I have a, I have a network of people, safe people that I can talk to about it and get support around it. And I encourage that for all leaders. It doesn't have to look like what I just described because that's been a real intentional thing that I've built over the years, but it could be, um, who is a group of leaders that you could identify, start with one that you feel like you can say the unsaid, speak the unspoken to, and talk about what's going on inside, outside of the organization, how it's affecting you personally, and then how you might grow in leadership around it. There are a lot of people that are listening to this, Miles, that are going to say that's not normal, and um, they're wrong. The reality is it's not normal for a lot of people, but if you think about that that subset, that cohort, that group of leaders that everyone listening to this show is wanting to be more like, it, it's really more than normal. It's actually required. If you want to have a long career leading teams, if you want to be a healthy, dynamic leader that, uh, to the extent that you can, can uh, protect yourself from these career mistakes and shortfallings related to your behavior and the way you act outside of the office, it's pretty normal. And in fact, um, for many of you, you are the lid on your team. And if you're the, uh, if you're the CEO or you're the equity sponsor, whatever company that you're in charge of or companies, they're only going to be as good as uh, the extent to which you take care of yourself. And I'm telling you, this practice of an intensive and finding people that you want to be more like and going away for a number of days to work on your mental and your spiritual health is so damn normal. And important. Yep. And important. And maybe that is where we um, land the plane. Miles, thanks for, um, thanks for spending some time with me, man. It's always feel better after just talking to you. So um, thank you for, Everyone, on behalf of everyone that I, I know is probably feeling better just after listening to you, thank you for being here. How can uh, how can someone know more about you or stay in touch or how, how do we keep up with Miles? Yeah, thanks. We uh, my my company is 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 called Onsite, and we offer a, a lot of those short term intensive workshops. So you can I, I, you can follow along with me there. We're on all the social channels. It's just at Onsite Workshops, and you can follow along with what I'm up to which with me, you've got a good mix of family. And um, I share too about leadership and other things I'm passionate about uh, at Miles Edcox on, on Instagram, Facebook, or uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of those. So that's a good way to catch up with me. And one thing that we, we put in place, um, Nigel, you and I were talking about it prior to the interview is uh, we were seeing a lot of companies that didn't know what to do to usher um, care into their organizations for their people and they didn't feel equipped to do it. So we're, we're building out an, another course right now that I think will be really valuable and supportive. So keep an eye out for that in the, the months to come. But we also put one together a few months ago or two months ago called 30 days of living centered. And it's just a, um, it's a, it's a, a video in the morning, uh, like a six to eight minute video uh, followed with a one-page write-up and uh, an exercise. And it's really practical, really easy to do, and we've been hearing great results uh, from teams that are uh, investing in doing that collectively. So something else to consider. All right. And we'll make sure we put uh, put that in the show notes so you can 
go find it. Miles, buddy, thanks again. Really appreciate you. All right, Nigel. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it. Music from this episode is from my good buddy, Justin Adams. You can listen to Justin's music in Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you, Justin, for the music, and thank you for checking out another episode of The Revenue Harvest.